So we're in 1 Samuel 27 today, if you want to open up your Bibles there. And we have an unexpected development. Because David, the future king of Israel, defects to the Philistines. Now, this is, I think, relevant for us because some people believe that David is backsliding here. The awful B word. You know what backsliding means? It means just throwing your faith away, your expectations on God, and just doing your own thing. Not doing God's thing anymore. And they, they take it because David is leaving the land of Israel and he's living with the Philistines, he's raiding, and they figure this time lasts one year, four months, and he only turns around again when raiders come and burn the city that he's living in to the ground and take everybody captive and steal everything. He has nothing left. And it says in that place that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And they say, well, now David is repenting. The only problem with that is that it doesn't actually fit the facts. And we're gonna look at that this morning. That he's not doing the things that go along with backsliding and, you know, just giving up your faith in God and in going his way, like sinning. You'd think if you were gonna just give up walking with God, then you would do your own thing and that it usually involves indulging yourself, living badly. But he's not doing that here. What he is doing is he is still expecting God to fulfill the promise that he made. He came to him and he said, you're going to be king over Israel. Now, David does have to wait, and he doesn't know how long that's gonna be. But what he is doing is making the best of having to wait. So let's read in chapter 27. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish the son of Maoch, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul 
that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So here at the top of this chapter, David completely withdraws from Israel. And you read what David is saying here in this first verse. He's not saying, Saul's going to kill me. I need to do something desperate and stupid right now. So I'll defect to the Philistines. Like, that's a quick fix to his problem that he's going to regret later. That's kind of in the same category as, I have a headache. I know how to fix it. I'll cut my head off. Now, it's true, that will fix your headache. But then it opens bigger problems that you will probably regret. So that's a stupid, quick, easy fix. But David doesn't do that here, all right? Because he's already avoided desperate, stupid, quick fixes. Twice with Saul, he could have killed him. That would have solved his problem, you know, on a, on a short-term basis, but then it would have got him killed in other ways. It's not a very good fix. Now, he's avoided that twice. And also one time with Nabal. When he was prepared, he had a full head of steam. He was going to kill everything that breathed at Nabal's place. And that would have been a nice fix. Ooh. But then it would have come back to haunt him later. And he was glad when he got stopped. So three times now, he has avoided quick, desperate, and stupid fixes. David does something much more humble, much more self-denying, much more risky to himself. And that is, he completely leaves Israel to Saul and removes himself from the picture. He's no longer a provocation to Saul that Keep Saul going, he's out to get me. I've got to get him first. I've got to find him. Winding him up. He says, nope, not going to do that anymore. You know what he's really saying in verse 1? He's really saying, there is no reasoning with Saul. I have tried twice, but he always comes back. So, He's never going to stop looking for me to kill me. This is a dead end. Now with me out of the country, Saul is going to stop looking for me and we're going to stop going through this loop of he calls out his army. I find I could kill him if I wanted to, but instead I'm merciful. I give him his life back and he says he's sorry and he's an idiot. And then we just do it again. So he says, I'm done. I don't think we can do anything here. Now, this also solves the problem at greater risk to David. Does everybody get that? This is out of the fire, into the frying pan. How does that work again? <laughs> Let's get out of the frying pan and jump into the fire. 
whichever, it's still not good. Everybody get that? All right. But there's another reason for David to stop running. He's got 600 guys with households. Did you notice? In verse 3, each man with his household. Now, you know, he started out with 400 single guys. And if you're single, you can live rough. You can run around. You can get wake it up three in the morning. We got to get out of here right now. Okay, grab my stuff and we're on. But when you got a wife, when you got kids, you can't run the same way. Does everybody get that? So these guys, while they've been on the run, they're sort of getting married too. That's pretty interesting. Even David is married. He's got two wives. We're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> You're waiting for that. It's not coming just yet. I will say now, do not marry two wives, okay? <laughs> and here's the punchline. One is enough. We're moving on, guys. Everybody's got a household. And you can't just say, come on, sweetheart, we got to run now for our lives. Grab, who's this, and let's get going. That isn't going to fly. So where in Israel are you going to hide with all your family so that Saul doesn't get you? They're running out of hide, hiding places, all right? So David has to think, we cannot do this anymore. We should not do this anymore. So he goes over to Gath. And you notice in the end of verse 4, Saul finds out, he always finds out what's going on with David. And he says, okay, he's gone now. And Saul settles down. He's not wound up anymore. Everything is great. Everything nice and peaceful. Now we're going to come back to this later too. So look what happens in verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your, in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So David and 600 households, maybe upwards of 1,200 people plus kids, all kind of living with Achish. Now that David's working for Achish, and it's sort of what you call a vassal arrangement. You have your Lord that you serve under, and you get his protection, and then you have to pay him a percentage of your income. It's sort of like the mafia when you're talking the Philistines. So there's David living 
all in Gath with all his guys, and he waits a while till it's cool, till Achish figures, maybe I can trust him. Things are going well, and then David brings up the issue. You know, we don't have to be crowding you here in the royal city. Isn't there some place you can give us out in the Tulis where we won't be bothering you? So Achish gives David this city called Ziklag. Now, what this shows me is that David does not want to live with the Philistines. He doesn't want to become a Philistine. He doesn't want to think like one. He doesn't want to associate with them. And I would also bet he doesn't want his guys to pick up any bad Philistine habits. He wants his guys to be in the country, but not of that country. So bad company ruins good morals. David wants to keep his distance. So he ends up living in this place that's out in the country. They can be autonomous to a certain degree and determine how they're going to live. Now, something special about Ziklag is that it's actually supposed to belong to Israel. And if you look in Joshua 15, verse 31, you'll find that it's in the inheritance of the tribe of Judah that David is from. That's Judges 15, or Josh, Joshua 15, verse 31. You can look it up later. Now, that means it's either a part of Israel that they never did possess, or more likely they possessed it, but they lost it to the Philistines. When the Philistines come in and muscle over and they say, that's ours. So, from this point on, instead of belonging to the Philistines, now it belongs to Judah like it's supposed to. I think that's pretty interesting. And it becomes a personal residence of the kings of Judah. It becomes their personal little getaway spot, which means it continued in the possession of Israel up until the time that this was all written down. Now, you know what David is doing here is he's thinking about walking with God and in their minds, keeping everybody thinking Israel. He doesn't want his guys to become Philistines. Now, verse seven. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? 
And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremielites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Well, here comes the nasty stuff. David is raiding people and killing and leaving neither man nor woman alive. And then he comes back to Achish and he's lying about it. Oh, David is sinning. He is backsliding. Bad David. Okay, but is that really what's going on here? What he's doing is he's making the best of his time while he has to live with the Philistines. You know, David does not know how long he is going to live with the Philistines. This stuff isn't written yet. He doesn't say, look, guys, it's only one year and four months. We can do this. He's in the land of the Philistines, and he has no idea how long this is going to be. He's not in Israel. He's not the king of Israel. It has never looked further away from him being king of Israel. Does everybody get this? If you measure this on the progress line, it looks like we're going this way. So David is saying, okay, I'm living with the Philistines. And in the meantime, the Philistines live by raiding others. This is what Philistines do. They go out and have raiding parties and say, oh, that produce looks fine. I'll just take that. All those sheep, they're mine. And if you have a problem with that, I'll kill you. Okay, no problem. Great, let's take it all, guys. That's what they do. Now, David has 600 households to provide for. And like I said, he's also got to give a percentage to Achish. This is how you do business when you're a Philistine. So, David raids like a Philistine. But he doesn't raid Israel. He's raiding these people who inhabit the land from of old. Did you notice that? In verse 8, these nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. Now, these people that he's raiding are people that were initially put under the ban by God when Israel was about to come into the promised land. God says, the iniquity of this people is filled. And he meant for Israel to be his judgment on their societies. He says, you're to kill everybody. Man, woman, and child. Their time has come. If I didn't do this, they would completely destroy themselves as a civilization. They are so far gone. 
They are having sex with everything that moves. They are blowing up their family households. They cannot come back from this. So Israel was to be God's judgment on a completely corrupt, vicious, lost society. It was their time of punishment. But Israel did not complete that job. They neglected it. And God says, if you don't do this, you're going to learn their ways. You will learn how to worship their gods. And you also will come under the ban. You also will be destroyed if you let them live. And see, because they didn't do this, they went through these times of worshiping other gods. And that caused God to judge them just like the other nations. And that is the plot of the book of Judges, where Israel would again worship other gods because they learned how from the nations that they kept alive, and then God would judge them. And then some savior would come and save them all. Well, David is taking the opportunity of being in the land of the Philistines to continue the job that Israel did not finish. If he has to raid, he's gonna raid all these people that are under the ban and are past their time of judgment by 400 years. They were ripe for judgment 400 years before. How much more now? And so, he doesn't let any live because that was the original command of God. Plus, he doesn't want it to get back to the Philistines. Yes, he is not telling Achish the truth. Oh, I'm still doing the work of the king of Israel even though I'm living with you. Oops, that's going to get me killed right now. So he's saying, nah, I'm, I'm raiding against Israel. And Achish goes, good, fabulous. Now you think, why would he believe David? Why would a Philistine believe an Israelite? And the reason is, David is making sure that he does what he says anytime he has to be around Achish. And Achish notices. David says what he, he does what he says. Unlike my guys that lie their head off. And I say, do this? And they say, yeah. Did you do this? Yeah. And I find out, no, didn't do it. I have to slap them alongside the head and say, do it right this time. And that's with everybody but David. I check up on him. And man, he's done the job. He does exactly what he says he's going to do. So Achish believes David because David has to lie and he has to have Achish believe him. Interesting concept, isn't it? If you are completely trustworthy, then the one time you have to lie, it's going to work. Now, this is weird, 
and I'm not teaching you how to lie. <laughs> if, if you ever get caught, say, Pastor Jones taught me how to do this. Don't implicate me. But you say, wow, this is weird. But David is in a risky spot. If he tells the exact truth, he's going to get killed on the spot. He's playing a very risky game. But he's doing it as a double agent. Does everybody get this? So David isn't doing any of his own will in this. He's denying himself and he's not furthering his own agenda as king of Israel. He's allowing Saul to have it all, completely withdrawing. He's not associating with the Philistines. He's living out in the countryside. He's continuing and advancing the work of God as he is able. Now, is this any of this backsliding? You know, when he's lying to Achish, he's not lying to cover up his drinking, his drug habit, and his pornography. He's lying to save his life. It's a little bit different. And what he's doing here is he's living in hope of God fulfilling his promise to make him king of Israel. Now, if you've got a future hope that affects how you live in the present, And I bet that if you ask David, you like waiting? I think he would answer, no, I hate waiting. But I have no other choice. I have to wait on God. And then I'm just trying to do the best I can while I'm waiting. Now, here's, here's what I want to notice from all this. David knows his hope. David knows why he's waiting and what he's waiting for. God said, you are going to be the king of Israel. David did not make that up. He didn't even aspire to that. He didn't even say, gee, wouldn't it be cool if someday I could be king of Israel? Ah, oh, no, that's never going to happen. Oh, but I think if I worked hard, I could make it happen. It's kind of like, what do you want to be when you grow up, Billy? I want to be the president of the United States. Well, just keep trying, Billy. The only way to become king of Israel is if he chooses you. And that's what happened to David. Now, God came to David David has to wait until God makes it happen. He is not going to make a move to make it happen for himself. So he has to wait. But it has to happen because God said so. All right? Now, David knows his hope. Do you know your hope? If somebody were to grab you at three in the morning and shake you and say, tell me now, what is your hope? Could you answer him? Not going to ask each one of you one by one, but do you know what your hope is? Could you say it at 3 a.m.? 
Here's what your hope is. Here's what you're waiting for. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Listen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, believers who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Here's what your hope is. The death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus. At 3 a.m., you should be able to say, Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead and he's coming back again. Can I go back to sleep now? Are we done? But you should be able to just spit it out. That's your hope. Everything comes out of that. That is your hope. Hope is confident expectation that's happening in the future. It's going to happen. It's not if... It's when. It will happen. So do you have this hope? That's the other question. Now David doesn't know when God will fulfill his word. Do you know how weird that would be? You just live your day and you say, well, nothing today. Let's, let's go on a raid, guys. And they have to just live like this. And David has no idea when it's going to end. He only knows that it will end. But you wouldn't see any signs of hope. Like, David, did you hear? Saul has heart trouble. Oh, well, that means he might get sick and fall over and die. And then, then I'm king, right? I'm not praying for that, but Lord, you know, do your will. Is he still alive? There's no sign at all. So David has to just live like this, okay? No light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know that Paul in Romans 8 says, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So he's saying, if you can see your hope, it's not hope. It's here. So a part of our hope, our expectation from God, is that we do not see Jesus coming again. We don't see it. All right? We don't know when Jesus will come. And if anybody comes out and says, I got a date, guess what? They're already wrong. You know, in 1997, 
this dates me somewhat. There was a book floating around Calvary Chapel, Westminster, where I was one of the pastors. And it was called The Appointed Times. And I still have it in my library. I have it on a shelf that I re reserve for dumb, stupid books. And this one is an epic of bad Bible interpretation. I should show this to the guys that I'm teaching how to study the Bible because this is a fabulous, wish-heavy interpretation of the Bible that's so bad. And the guy that was handing them out, I said, can I have a copy? Good. I want this for the day after the guy says this is going to happen because the day will come and you and I will still be here, man. This is not going to happen. I guarantee you. You know why? He set a date. And nobody knows the day or the hour. And I know a lady, and we were talking about this, and she says, well, I just want to find out anyway. And, he, and I said, do you know what? Jesus said, no one knows the time. And she goes, well, I want to find out anyway. And I said, you know what? That's wicked. You need to drop that subject. Find something good to do. Because you're not going to know. So you have to be ready. You have to wait. Now, what you do is you wait for God's promise with perseverance. You want to live in agreement with God so that when he fulfills the promise, you're right there for it. Because if you're not with God when he fulfills the promise, you're not going to be there. Kind of like, you know, the parable of the ten virgins and five were smart and five were stupid. The five were ready, the dumb five weren't. And when they're going away to get ready, it happens. And they're not there, which means they missed the whole thing entirely. So what you want to do is stick with God so that when he fulfills the promise, you are with him. And then you receive that promise. Now, if David really backslid here and threw out this idea, oh, I'm never going to be king of Israel, it's a bunch of hooey. I just want to be a, a Philistine. We're going to raid and we're going to we're going to drink and we're just going to mess around. It's going to throw my life away because it's all stupid. It's not going to happen. Well, then he would have lived like that. He would be indulging himself with pleasure because if you have no hope, that's the best you can do is party up. And you live your life like a beer commercial. You only go around once in life. You better grab for all the gusto you can. And you and this brand of beer, that's the best it ever gets. So glug, 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 glug. Woohoo! But see, he's not living like that. He's living with self denial and humility and discipline, and he is in danger and risk constantly. 
because he doesn't think he's going to be king of Israel? No way. That is his hope. He suffers because he is pursuing the will of God. He's waiting for God's promise. Now it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which... The heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. We're to look for what we cannot see. We're looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's what we're looking for and we can't see it. But we know that nothing here is it because we can see it. And there are no foundations and this isn't gonna last. Everything's going to be burned up which means this is not it. Now David is willing to wait indefinitely because he knows it has to be temporary. This land that he lives in with the Philistines, he never meant it to be his home. It was always for a time. And it's the same with us. We're not looking to stay here. Our hope is not wrapped up in what we can see. Now, I find it really interesting that while we are not home, the Holy Spirit has come to live in us at home. Don't you find that interesting? Because of Jesus, our bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. He's at home in us. So that helps for right now. But we're not home yet. Home is permanent. This is impermanent. You know, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't it interesting that our citizenship is a place we've never been to? Our home. We weren't born there. And yet when we get there, it will be more home than any place we've ever lived here. That kind of takes all the weirdness out of dying. Why would you feel weird about going home? Home? Yahoo! 
That's where I belong. Not with a bunch of Philistines. I don't belong there. And this is the most important thing to think about. That if you don't have a hope in God, you have no hope at all. There's two other guys here that are having a great time. One of them is Saul. And his life just got instantly better because he knows David is out of my hair. So Saul is relaxed in a way he hasn't been in a long time. And he's happy and he's at peace and he loves everybody and he pats little people on the head and he loves flowers. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, a burden has been lifted. Wow. You know, I don't even care when the garbage men come through at seven in the morning. I love you guys. He's just, he's blissing out. The kingdom is his now. It's everything that he hopes for. Peace. Achish is thinking, wow, what a great guy David is. He's going to serve me forever. This is going to be fantastic. But this isn't going to last, is it? Saul's going to die. And he's going to lose everything. And Achish is going to see David become the king of Israel that no Philistine will ever beat, ever. He's going to live to see David become his absolute enemy and unbeatable. So you know what Achish is hoping for, what Saul is hoping for, my best life right now? Just temporary. Because the hope is based in this life and nothing in this life is forever. Nothing. So if you think, whoa, if I could just get to this point, everything would be great. Yahoo! Weld it and keep it there forever. That is a, a, a foolish hope. It can't stay there. It might get better and it might get worse but it can't stay the same. So if you have any hope in this life at all, you have no hope. You're hopeless. You really need the hope of eternal life from God in Jesus. Now you know he commands everyone this morning to come to him and put your trust in him. And when you have hope in Jesus, you have a real hope. That good promise is going to be fulfilled and nothing can stop it because all the opposition is temporary. So you only have a little time so you want to make the best of it while you're here.
Let's pray. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for this hope that nothing can erase, that nothing can stop. And though we pray about, will you please fix this problem or please help this issue, the only thing that gives hope is knowing that this is all temporary. And what we're really looking for is a home of our own. And we thank you that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead and is coming again. Would you please bless our time of communion this morning? Would you please help us, Lord, to draw near? Thank you.